Well, thanks for being here. And I know it's uh, weather is questionable out there. And so thank you for being faithful. So I want to talk this morning briefly about what we talked about Wednesday night. And the chapter was titled, it's chapter 26 of the book. And it was titled, The Sin That's Not a Sin. The Sin That's Not a Sin. Interesting title, isn't it? This chapter was talking about all the excuses that people make. And what that and the excuses that people make are declaring basically to God that their time and their priorities are more important than God's time and God's priorities. Jesus spoke in a parable. This is the only scripture we're using today. So you can uh, look at this, read this through. Larry will keep it up through the whole duration of the conversation today. But this is Luke chapter 14. You can read it in your Bible or you can read it on the screen as in the Living Bible Translation. And this is the parable that Jesus spoke about. He said, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When all was ready, he sent his servants around to notify the guests that it was time for them to arrive. But they all began making excuses. One said he had just bought a field and wanted to inspect it and asked to be excused. Another said he had just bought five pair of oxen and wanted to try them out. Another had just been married and for that reason couldn't come. The servant returned and reported to his master what they had said. His master was angry and told him to go quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and to invite the beggars, crippled, lame, and the blind. But even then there was still room. Well then, said his master, go out into the country lanes and out behind the hedges and urge everyone, anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I had prepared for them. Let's pray. Father, help us with this. Help us to understand, Jesus, what you were talking about. Give us a good discernment and good understanding of this parable. Help us to understand it in today's vernacular and what you mean for us today. Open our hearts and open our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So the sin that's not a sin but can become a sin is the sin of making an excuse. The sin of excuses. Now there is so much that we can unpack in this parable. Jesus was speaking of a man that had prepared a great feast, had gone to great lengths to prepare a great meal, and was going to provide abundance for his guests. He wasn't asking them to come in and prepare the feast. He wasn't asking his guests to come in and set the table. He wasn't asking their guests to come with a checkbook in mind, checkbook in hand. He, he asked nothing of his guests other than just to come. Just to come and enjoy what I've prepared for you. That's a pretty generous man, isn't it? That's a good thing. But people that were invited made excuses of why they couldn't attend. Let's talk about that for a minute. The, the three examples were given. One man bought a field and had to go out and inspect it. 
Another man bought some oxen and had to go try them out. Another man had just gotten married. What do, what do these mean for us today? Okay, um, one man bought a field and had to go inspect it. It was talking about his business. One man had just, his business was really important to him and he had to go attend to his business. Another man bought a new car, bought a new tractor, bought a new boat, bought a new RV, oxen. And he, could, and he, he had to go and try them out. Couldn't wait. He was so excited about what he bought. He had to go try them out so he couldn't attend the feast. Another man had just gotten married. Good man. Good woman. Just got married. Good thing. And for that reason, he couldn't come. All three used what they had acquired for reasons in, for them not to be able to attend this feast. Now, what does this feast indicate? Now, remember, when Jesus speaks in parables, he always speaks about the eternal things, uses the things of the moment to explain an eternal principle. That's what a parable is, a story to get our attention that doesn't just think about what the moment is, but always talks about what the eternal thing. Because Jesus, as we've been talking about, remember we talked about those messages a few weeks ago about the Akarit? The Akarit is more concerned about the end than about the beginning, more concerned about the end than the present. The Akarit is what comes after. Jesus is more concerned about what, what comes after in our lives than what's going on in the moment. Not that means it doesn't make any difference and he's not concerned about the moment, but he's using the things of the moment to prepare us for the eternal, right? So this parable, in the feast and he's talking about in his parable, what he's really referring to is the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the feast he's re referring to. And the marriage supper of the Lamb is a celebration. It's a supper that Jesus is going to serve all those that were raptured in the rapture, in the great taken away, that there will be a great feast in heaven and Jesus will be the preparer and Jesus will be the servant and that's when we're going to have an opportunity to enjoy breaking bread with Christ. That's the great feast. And it's only reserved for those that have accepted the invitation through Jesus' blood and through the sacrifice of his atonement. That's what it's about. That's what this feast is about. Maybe we think that in the terminology of what this is, that it's just a great social event. And the other thing I want to pull out of this is that whenever... Jesus talks about the church or talks about the fellowship of the brethren or talks about building the kingdom of God. Those are all eternal things. And the problem that we have is many times we make them social things. We make them not significant when it comes to the eternal because to us, it's just a bunch of people getting together, singing a few songs like we sang today, taking an offering. And for many people, they think church is about offerings, that the pastor just wants a big offering, okay, just to take your money. And then maybe he preaches a little bit because it builds his ego up and he feels good and it gives him a job. And so we start minimizing all the things that Jesus is calling important. We're minimizing them as merely social events. And therefore, they're not important. You know what I'm talking about? That we can just look at when the church doors are open that, oh, it's just an opportunity that we can skip. Not really important for us to go to church because it's just a, show, it's just a social event. Is it? 
Or is this a time when we are to be gathering and to be producing and to be preparing ourselves to be productive in the kingdom? What does church really mean to you? What does it mean to go to be with a bunch of people that you really have nothing else in common with other than Christ? Church is interesting because in all honesty, it is a gathering of people that has only one thing in common for the most part, and that is Christ. Other than that, we probably don't have a whole lot in common. I mean, if I was going to go to a golf club and be, if I was going to join a golf club and be a member of a golf club, I'm going to that golf club because we're all golfers. And my commonality with them is that we all like golf. And so, therefore, I'm going to go to that golf club. I'm going to buy a membership, and I'm going to go because we're all golfers. Or if I was going to be get involved in a flying club, that I get involved because I'm a pilot. And there are other pilots in that club, and so we have relationship with each other because we share a common interest called flying. And we come together and we pool all our money, we buy an airplane together, and we share it, and we rent it. And it's a way of affording us the ability to fly an airplane affordably, right? Or maybe you have other organizations, the Lions Club or the, 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 um, the Rotary you know, many, there's many groups that come together. AA comes together because they're struggling with alcohol or Al-Anon because they're struggling with drugs and other, other um, life-controlling issues. And see, these are all good things, but they're coming because they have a particular interest in common. We come to church, and really our only interest in common is Christ because I may be a pilot or a golfer, and that's the last thing you want to do is golf. Max wants to go skiing. He told me he doesn't have patience to golf. And I can understand that. And, and I couldn't handle a ski hill because it would break my knees. And, and so, that, so therefore, you know, we're not in common. But we have, we have Christ in common so we come to church. But yet, I, there, there are a lot of people that are more diligent in going to their golf club than going to church going to their flying club or going to their AA club, whatever it is, and, and, and it's not even an eternal goal. It's something just to satisfy an immediate need. And yet we place many times our priorities more on those things than we do on the eternal. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at here this morning. He's trying to get our attention to the fact that he has a great feast that is for everybody not just the chosen. As we go through this, as we go through this, it's interesting that um, we find that there is no exclusion here. This is not the chosen that God has chosen, and no one, no others, people. You know, there are some faiths that believe that there are only a few that God cho- chooses, and everybody else uh, doesn't have an opportunity to get in. Well, when I read a parable like this, clearly He invited a few. They declined, so he says, okay, go find anybody that would come in. There's no, club, there's no exclusivity here. Jesus' parables making it very obvious that everyone is welcome if they would only do what? Accept the invitation. They've all been invited. Every man in the world has been invited to accept the salvation of Jesus. All they have to do is accept it. So it's very obvious here that this is not an exclusive club. This is an, one that's, that's inclusive to all people. Interesting, isn't it? 
So the real issue here that Jesus is getting at is the excuses that people give as to why they aren't willing to do what's necessary so they can accept the invitation. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Are any of these things bad? That, that any of the excuses bad? None of the things that the men did in the parable were wrong or sinful in themselves. A man going to buy a field, buying property, uh, having a business, anything wrong with that? No, I hope not, because otherwise we're all, we've all sinned because we're all part of a business somewhere. somewhere. What about buying oxen? Is it wrong for a man to buy oxen? Is it, man, is it wrong for a man to buy a new car? Is it wrong for a man to buy a new boat? Or an old car and fix it up? You know, I mean, is it wrong that he would go buy oxen? Is it wrong that a man would get married? No, absolutely not. None of these things are wrong in themselves. There was no sin in any one of those activities. The sin came when they became more important than the banquet. The sin came when there was more priority placed on them than on the invitation of, of, the, of the banquet owner. Right? Think about your life. Think about the things that you've, uh, you've allowed to come in your life. Are they, are they wrong? Probably not. The neutral things in life are those things that God blesses us with and many times they come as a form of a test. Because God tests us many times in his blessings. Am I going to allow the blessings to become my Lord? Or am I going to allow Lord to become and stay my Lord? See, we sometimes get more excited about the blessing than we get about the blesser. And we think, oh, God, you're such a good father because you gave me a new car. Gave me a new boat. You gave me a, a, a nice vacation. Yeah, those are great things. But man, when those become more important and I start spending more time thinking about those and I think about the, the, the one that gave me the blessing, I'm on risky, I'm on shaky, I'm on thin ice. Because all of a sudden I can see myself becoming deceived and maybe taken down the path of the blessing more important than the blesser. Right? Something we need to be concerned about. It's the sin of ungodly priority that is so prevalent today in the church, so prevalent today in America. The American dream is a great dream. It was based on the principle that all men are created equal, all men are able to have opportunity, and it based upon how hard a person is willing to work and, how, and their work ethic and their, their, their truth that they can succeed. And it's a great principle. I'm so glad that our country is based on that kind of a principle. But it's sad, though, when that principle becomes more important than God. And for so many of us, it has. For so many of the Americans today that struggle with more money, more, more, more. Unfortunately, it's not more God. It's more things. If we could really, truly Grasp the concept of having more, more, more Holy Spirit. More Holy Spirit. More of you, Father. Thank you, for the, thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the car that I have to get to my church. Thank you for the ministry that you've given me. But if I could have more of you, that is what pleases the heart of the Father. 
And it's not that he's opposed to, uh, uh, of us having more things. It just can't become more of those things as to more of the Father. So really, the question comes now, really comes down to who's at the center point of your life. And, and that, quite honestly, is why we named this church Center Point a few years ago. Because in a sermon similar to this, it just became more and more evident that the center point of our life is important. And who we place at the center point of our life determines really who we are. And that if we don't have Christ at the center point, then really the question is, am I even saved? And so as that message unfolded, then after a few weeks after that, the Lord kept impressing in my heart, name your church center point. Not because we are the center of the universe, and not that everything revolves around our assembly, but it was more of a question, kind of like, wait, what? Wednesday. It should be center point. <laughs> Who's at the center point of my life? For the purpose of anyone that claims center point as their church home, that there should be a constant reminder to them, who is at your center point? When I know that Christ is at my center point, I have great assurance of my future. When I know Christ is at the center point of my life, I have no fear of the past, the present, or the future. When I keep Christ at the center point of my life, it allows me to forgive myself. It allows me to move on from past mistakes. It allows me to know what it means to repent and make right what I can and let go of what I can't and just accept the forgiveness of God in my life. That's relationship with Jesus. That's what it really means. It also helps me to make good choices when it comes to what is, who is the boss of my life? Who determines what I do this afternoon? Do, is it me? Or does Christ have some input in what I do this afternoon? Hmm. Interesting. When I start looking at it that way, it gets a little bit, um, it gets a little bit interesting because it's easy to say Christ is at the center point, but when I truly start asking questions, okay, now what do you want me to do with my time? All of a sudden, I have to recognize that it challenges me a little bit. Do I uh, spend as much time watching TV? Do I spend as much time in my personal desires, or do I really ask the Lord, "What would you have me do today, Father? Would you give me a divine appointment today?" Would you orchestrate it so that I can speak to my friend today about Christ? Would you put me in a position where I could pray with somebody today? See, when I can start asking the Lord to truly start impacting my life like that, I'm setting myself up for great success. I'm setting myself up for, for giving God glory in everything that I do because it's not about me and then asking God to bless my plans. It's about me asking the Lord, what are your plans? What do you have me to do today? That's putting the priorities in proper perspective. The reality is, if I'm not willing to give God the number one priority in my time and in my efforts and in my resources, the reality is, listen very closely, because if I'm not willing to put God in control, of my time, of my resources, of who I am, then why should he let me in heaven? 
when I get to that point of time when my life is over, I take my last breath here. And if I haven't been willing to give God first priority of everything in my life, and when I stand before him and that judgment is given, why should I expect him to say, well done? And when I think of life that way, it's very somber. I understand that. And it's very telling. It's very challenging. And it's very um, uncomfortable, maybe. But, you know, guys, if we would take that time now to reflect and get uncomfortable now and let ourselves be challenged with that now, I promise you, then you will not regret it. But if you don't allow yourself to be challenged now, thinking that I'm going to get by with the least I can do for Jesus, I can get by with these, not have to go to these social events called church, not have to go to these things that would be preparing me for them, I will guarantee you then you will have regrets. That's the akarit that we talked about a few weeks ago. That we can make sure that we are understanding that our past is going to be accounted for, for all of our future. And if I want to have a good future, then I need to be doing the things today because the things I do today will be considered the past then. What I'm doing right now today is really, really important. And it will be more important then than you can ever imagine that it is today because I'm going to give an account for it. And you will too. We will all give an account for the things, how we spend our 168 hours a week. That was in the devotional that was last Wednesday. We have 168 hours. What are we doing with that time? And how quickly, how quickly we can allow ourselves to get caught up in the neutral things, not the bad things, but the neutral things in life that have no value eternally. But yet we get so caught up in them that we have lost the time that God has given us to work on the things that do last eternally. So it's, it's the sin of excuses that we're going to regret later. This is the enemy's place that he likes to take up in a Christian's life. This is his playground, if you will. He loves to play in the neutral things. Because he knows that you're good people. You are God-loving people. And he knows that he's not going to be able to, con- to convince you to steal, and to do the blatant sin. He knows that. And because he knows that, he's pretty strategic in that what he'll say is, well, then I'll just work in the neutral things. I'm not going to go and challenge them with pornography and alcoholism and and, and drugs and and those things because I know they're not going to go there. But I do know they'll waste their time. I do know that they'll place other things over God. I do know that they'll make idols of things that are of the world. And that's where the devil plays. He takes those little things. I heard it said that a man doesn't stumble over a boulder. A man stumbles over a pebble. You know, it's the little things in life that trip us up. It, it's, I, I don't, it's not the big rocks that get in my shoes to hurt my feet. It's the little tiny thing I hardly see. You know what it is. You get a, you get a pebble in your shoe. You wear a sandal sometimes and you get a little piece of dirt under your sandal, how it bugs your feet, how it hurts. It's not the big rock. 
You avoid the big rocks. You avoid the big stumbling blocks. But it's the little thing that gets in your foot, gets in your shoe, and that hurts. And that's where the devil plays. And he plays in the little things because it's the little things that we stumble over, not the big things. It's the neutral things. And so my challenge this morning is that we, as we listen to this parable that Jesus gave us, that we wouldn't make excuses. Verse 24, the last verse, it says, For none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I had prepared for them. What a sad day. What a sad day for that man that thought he had it all here. Thought he had it all. And he did have it all here. But here doesn't last very long. That's the challenge that I want to give to this church. That we would learn what it means to really, truly, truly, truly put Jesus first. In every aspect of our life. This would be a great what? Wednesday conversation. Well, in fact, we already had it (laughs) last Wednesday. Because there's so much application here for us. This is one of those messages that I hope that would rewind in your mind throughout the week over and over again. When you're sitting there having idle time, you're having the choice to do something eternal or do something temporary. Not even wrong, just not eternal. I would ask the Lord to bring this back and say, challenge me, God, with doing something that I know will last forever. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship with Jesus, truly making him number one at any cost. That I would not allow anything, any good thing, get in the way of my relationship with Jesus. That I would not let any bad thing or good thing or neutral thing get in the way with with chasing after Christ with all the energy and all the passion that I have. Now, for some, this may seem difficult because maybe you've tried it in the past and it didn't work real good. But let me just tell you that God is always, always, always giving you a second chance. Try it again. Get back in the saddle again. Get back in your prayer time again. Get back in your Bible reading again. Start asking the Lord again. Give me passion. Timothy or Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, I think the first chapter, he said, Timothy, fan the flame that once, that once burned bright. Timothy, you come from good stock. You had a good grandparents. You had good people teaching you Bible. You had good, you had, you're good stock, Timothy. You're a good guy. But Timothy, the flame, Chad was talked about it this morning at the beginning of the service. The flame was there. But he says, you've got to fan it. You've got to fan it. We've all built fires, haven't we? We've all built fires as kids. You know, and you, you get that kindling on it, and you get that, you know, you've got one match or you're whatever, and, and, and you don't want to blow it. You don't want to lose it. And so there's a little bit of a risk here that you take when you see the ember, you see the small little flame, and it's kind of on the edge of kind of going out, and you start blowing on it, and you, you take the risk of blowing it out. Or you take the risk of making it big and making that flame bright and it burning the rest of that kindling and all of a sudden you have a burning fire. The devil would say to you, you're going to blow it out, so don't fan the flame because you're going to blow it out. 
because that flame is small. So don't go there. Don't go to church. Don't, don't put yourself in that kind of a position. He puts fear in your heart. And the Lord is saying, fan the flame. Fan the flame. And I'll burn bright in your life again. And there'll be passion. And there'll be purpose. And you'll be fulfilled. And you truly will be a kingdom builder. And you will have great reward. Not only will you have great reward, but you'll have a great life. Because the power of God in a daily life of a man that's fanning the flame is powerful. It's attractive. People are attracted to that kind of a man, that kind of a person, that kind of a woman. Fan the flame. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your encouragement to us today that we would fan the flame. Lord, that we would protect our relationship with you. Lord, that we would not make excuses, that we wouldn't look for every opportunity to receive your invitation that we would look for every opportunity to spend more time with you, that we wouldn't allow the neutral things or the good things in life to snuff the flame in our life. Help us, Father. Forgive us for the times that we have. Move in our hearts and lives today. Make us alive and make us purposeful again. Let us know that you do have a plan for us, and it's good. It's a good plan. You have a good life in store for us if we would just accept the invitation to the banquet. And I just pray, God, that you would just make this real to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be encouraged today. He's got great things in store. And drive safe. It's starting to snow.